Hi there, Rachel here. If you're listening to this episode in May of 2024, I have some big news. After selling out during the holiday season, my Flex of Gold journal is available for pre-order right now and will be shipping to your home by the end of June. To celebrate, we're running an amazing pre-order sale for Mother's Day. Purchase the journal before May 13th and you'll get $10 off every journal. This is our best price of the year, even better than Black Friday, so it's the perfect time to stock up for gifts for family and friends. This three-year journal helps mothers to notice, savor, and write down the fleeting golden moments that they experience with their children each day. So go to 3in30podcast.com slash flexofgold to reserve your copy, and you'll also see our brand new cover colors, as well as our new cover option, which is a wipeable vegan leather. So again, go to 3in30podcast.com slash flexofgold to pre-order your journal, and from now until Mother's Day 2024, they'll be marked down by $10 each. I can't wait for you to experience the magic of this beautiful gratitude journal for mothers. You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and this episode is sponsored by Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. On any given day, I might go from recording in my home office like I am right now to a school curriculum committee meeting to picking up kids from school and, if I'm lucky, sneaking in a date night with my husband, Ryan. My Brighton boots from Vionic Shoes have me looking good and feeling comfortable no matter where I'm headed next. Dresses or jeans, I'm ready to go. From chic ankle boots to insulated styles that stand up to the harshest winter conditions, Vionic Shoes has the perfect pair to keep you warm this winter. I really appreciate that Vionic offers a 30-day money-back guarantee. Shopping online, you can never be totally sure something's going to fit right. So Vionic says, wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund. Use code 3in30 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at www.vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's code 3in30 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. One-time use only, Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast to help you feel more like yourself within your motherhood. Each 30-minute episode features three actionable takeaways to help you become a more self-assured mom, someone who knows yourself, honors your needs, and loves your people. Listen in to feel encouraged as we learn together how to overcome overwhelm and find more magic in motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. I'm so glad you're here. Have you ever wished for some concrete things you could do to improve your marriage? I know I have. It's relatively easy to notice when your marriage is in a slump or just not thriving, but it can be much harder to know what to do to help strengthen it. And it can be easy to think that most of the disconnection in your relationship is your partner's fault. If they could just change, things would be so much better. Well, in today's episode, our expert guest gives us three actionable things that we can do to become better partners and improve our marriages. Our guest is Dr. Jennifer Finlayson-Fife, a relationship and sexuality coach with a PhD in counseling psychology. Her coaching and teaching focuses on helping individuals and couples achieve greater satisfaction and passion in their emotional and sexual relationships. Dr. Finlayson-Fife is the creator of five empowering and highly reviewed online courses, each designed to give LDS individuals and couples the tools required to create healthier lives and stronger intimate relationships. And she also teaches these same tools and principles in live workshops and retreats. 
Her workshops and podcasts have deeply impacted my life and marriage, and I'm so grateful to have her here to share more of her expertise with you. This is Dr. Jennifer's second time on the podcast. Her first episode was totally focused on helping mothers find or reclaim their sexual desire. So if that's a topic you need some help with, please sign up to receive access to my special relationships-focused private podcast that I put together for the month of February. It includes all of the relationship-focused episodes of 3 and 30 from the past six and a half years, including our previous conversation with Dr. Jennifer. So go to 3in30podcast.com slash playlist to get access to that. That's 3in30podcast.com slash playlist. Okay, with no further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Jennifer finlayson Fife. Dr. finlayson Fife, welcome back to 3 and 30. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Thanks for having me. Well, your first episode was so popular with my audience, Sex and Motherhood, and we mm-hmm. talked a lot about how to reframe the way that we see sexuality as not a chore, but as something, as a gift in our marriages and our relationships and the different lenses that we can see that through. And I know it resonated with a lot of women. We're going to touch on that a little bit later in this podcast episode as well. But I'm just so excited to have you back on the show to talk about becoming a better partner. And when I first sort of pitched the idea, I had said how to be a great partner. And then when you sent back your takeaways, I noticed that they said how to become a great partner. And Mm -hmm. I loved that little shift in like, this is a becoming that we can always improve and change and grow. And it's not just about being something like reaching a destination almost. It's about constantly becoming and growing into the partner that we want to be. So I'm just so excited to learn from you. And do you have anything you want to add just about that first thought before we jump into the takeaways? Or do you want to jump right into the takeaways? Yeah, well, I hadn't even noticed, actually, that I made that change. It was, But maybe it's a bit the way I think about it is that we're always in this process of becoming and evolving, which is part of what it is to be a great partner, is to be willing to be in evolution, mm-hmm. which I'll talk about in a minute. But that process of growing is sometimes uncomfortable and we resist it, but it's really part and parcel to a happy marriage. Yeah, absolutely. So let's jump in with your first takeaway. How do we become great partners. So sometimes what I talk about in my classes and, you know, I've talked to my kids about is the idea that a marriage must have a growth mechanism within it for it to be happy. And the growth mechanism of a good marriage is the willingness to self-confront, or in other words, to be honest enough with yourself to address what your limitations and liabilities are. And so that is that you can self-correct. You're willing to take feedback from your children, from your spouse, to look at yourself honestly and to consider who you are and what your impact is. Because one thing that's really true about us as human beings is that we are very good at justifying what we do, right? We're very good at sort of being comfortable enough. I don't mean to say we're always happy, but we're comfortable enough with our pattern of engagement and can sometimes lose track of what it's actually like to be with us. Mm -hmm. Kind of an uncomfortable truth is that often people can track us better, including our self-deceptions, better than we can. And Mm -hmm. so while it can be painful, it's often our adolescent children or even our young children or our spouse or our sister 
who sees things about us that we've been good at denying, avoiding, or or recognizing in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so if we shoot the messenger, which we often do, and say, if you really love me, you would you know, not talk about that, or, you know, that hurts me that you're saying that I hurt you. (laughs) We're really good at trying to get others to not talk honestly to us. But if we can face what they're saying and what's true in what they're saying, I don't mean that everything everyone says is true, but if we can really look for what's true in what they're saying and address it, it's essential to being a good partner and a good Mm. parent for that matter. We don't expect our parents to be perfect, but what is so powerful is if a parent is willing to acknowledge something and to try to do something better. That's a huge gift. When a partner is willing to say, okay, I think you have a point and do it differently, that's when you know you're loved. It's not about the perfection, but the willingness to evolve. Mm. This is so powerful. And you are the first person that I ever heard use the term self-confront. I went to your Art of Desire workshop in person probably back in 2018. So it's been a while. It was not part of your planned remarks of the day. It wasn't in the workbook or anything, but someone asked a question and you were kind of just riffing on it and you threw this out there. And it's like the thing that stuck with me. You said Mm -hmm. the number one quality that I would want my children to look for in life partner is the ability to self-confront. Absolutely. And I was like, whoa, that's that's big for somebody who's seen hundreds of couples over decades of work to say the most important quality to have a happy long-term relationship is that you're both willing to self-confront. Just that phrase, self-confront, I think people can probably kind of figure out what that means if it's the first time they've heard it. But can you just explain a little bit more what does that mean? I mean, you sort of just did, but in a nutshell, what does it mean to self-confront? It's a phrase that Dr. Schnarch would use a lot. But what it is, is like, I'm willing to challenge myself. I'm willing to push myself around whether or not I'm being fair, whether or not Mm -hmm. I'm actually living up to my highest values, you know, whether or not I'm being honest with myself. So you're not necessarily waiting for others to confront or challenge you. You're Mm -hmm. taking the input you're getting and you're pushing yourself on the question of, am I living up to my best self? And just to clarify one part of that, some people might be like, well, I'm always self-confronting. I feel like crap all the time. Like, I just know I'm failing everybody. And that's not the same thing as self-confronting. So, of course, there's people out there that they won't question themselves no matter what, the more narcissistic among us, right? But Mm -hmm. there's also another version where everything is just like, I'm a failure, I'm doing poorly. There's not really any virtue in that feeling bad about yourself. The virtue is in being willing to move forward in a better way. And I think that's really important because sometimes we can use our despair that I'm not perfect or I've disappointed someone. I mean, I don't know how we get around that. I disappoint people all the time (laughs) because we're just human, right? We do things that can hurt and that are uh, less than ideal. It's the willingness to acknowledge that and to try. And that's Mm -hmm. the virtue is to do better the next time, to really care about your impact and to bring your best to that next moment. Yeah, I think you're so right that sometimes it's a cop-out to go to self-criticism. It's actually not self-confronting. I have an example of that. Not my finest moment. I don't usually go to this, but I think that it was a sign to me that how like stressed and burned out I've been. Just recently, my son was kind of giving me some feedback, and I said, 
okay, we've established that I'm a crap mom. And then I was like, he was like, that's not what I'm saying. And I was like, you're right. That is a cop out for me to be like, okay, you're right. I'm garbage, blah, blah, blah. That's me not seeing the truth and acknowledging. And he held his own and said, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this. And and I apologized. And that's the important thing is repair in relationships and also the ability to self-confront. I paused and said to myself, hello, victim mode. Like, this isn't who you are. And so in that moment, I took a breath and said, you're right. I'm sorry. It's not fair for me to go to martyr victim mode. I want to hear what you have to say. And I want to work to be better. And we can do that in our marriages as well. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful example. Do you have any examples, maybe from your marriage or from a client that you work with, of somebody who was willing to look at their self and the impact on the marriage, willing to self-confront, and it made a positive difference in their relationship? Oh, my gosh. Like bazillions of examples because (laughs) it's so much what makes the difference. You know, oh, this is one that comes to mind. I had a client who was very, very invested in the idea that she was a good mother. And in many ways, she was. But it mattered to her a lot because she'd come from a mother that was really quite cruel. It mattered very much to her to be the opposite of that. And so she was an invested mother, but she could hide from herself ways that she would collude with the kids and turn them against their father. Now, she was doing very well considering where she came from. But when I started to challenge this, this was so counter to the view of herself that she wanted that she was very upset by it. And so she kind of plummeted into this kind of martyr despair, like, I'm nothing if I'm not a good mother. But to her credit, she didn't let herself just stay in that despair. And she started to look honestly at, like, yes, I'm a good mother in many respects. But in Mm. this way, this is not good mothering. And this is working against my children. And I don't want to be that. Mm. And so she came to the next session and she owned it. And you could see, like, she was more solid in herself. Sometimes we're afraid if we own something that's true, we're making ourselves weaker or we're saying, okay, I'm a failure. Rather than actually getting more anchored into what's true and finding something solid and trustworthy in ourselves. And I could see that emerging in her. I could see her husband's respect for her in that because Mm. you know you're fortunate when you're married to somebody who will face themselves and address it. It's a beautiful example. And I can say that as I've gotten better at self-confronting, I really like myself more. Like I know that I'm doing good hard work to become a better person and that feels good to have that kind of integrity and self-respect and I can remember recently being upset with my husband for something and thinking this is all him, you know, and I got out a John Gottman book about, I think it was eight dates. I'm thinking like, I got to read this to figure out how I can fix him. (laughs) And as I was reading it, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I totally contribute to this pattern. Yes. And like all the self-confronting was happening, but it wasn't in a super self-loathing way. It was just in a, I can see my part, and that's what it looks like to self-confront. And then I was able to go to him and say, okay, I can see what I've been doing and this dynamic and what can we do to work on it. And it's just so much more bonding than the pointing the finger and thinking it's always the other person's fault. Exactly. 
you know, Einstein said something like, you can't solve a problem at the level of intelligence that the problem was created. You have to rise above it. And so self-confronting helps us get more truth on the table. You know, if we keep taking our part out of the equation, we never can solve it. So if we can say like, okay, I see what I'm doing. I see what my spouse is doing, but I see how it intersects with what I'm doing. Well, not mm -hmm. only are you easier to listen to when you go talk to your spouse, because you're not just pointing a finger, but you actually have more knowledge about what the problem is and therefore more agency to be able to solve it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take a quick break to thank this episode's sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Prep Dish, a meal planning service to set you up for a successful week of recipes that fit your family complete with a shopping list. The genius idea behind this service is that you can spend one to two hours prepping your food at the beginning of the week and then have five dinners ready to put together in record time on busy nights. If you're thinking, I've tried meal prepping before, I don't have time, I used to think the same thing. But batch prepping frees up so much mental bandwidth for me throughout my week, it's totally worth it. Prep Dish's founder, Allison, is both a dietitian and a chef, and I love knowing that our Prep Dish meals are not only delicious, but nutritionally balanced as well. Plus, she's a mom to three little boys, so she gets the need to feed a family without spending hours in the kitchen every night. If you've thought about trying Prep Dish, now is a great time to check out the free trial. The founder, Allison, is offering listeners a free two-week trial. Check out prepdish.com slash 3in30 for this amazing deal. Again, that's prepdish, P-R-E-P-dish.com slash 3in30 for your first two weeks free. Let me know how you like it. This podcast is also sponsored by OneSkin. February is the month of love, so why not show some love to your skin? Most skincare routines only deliver superficial results, but thanks to today's sponsor, OneSkin, you get a scientifically proven treatment that improves the appearance and health of your skin at the cellular level. Now that I'm a proper grown-up who washes my face every night and uses OneSkin products myself, I wanted to report that it is beneficial for multiple reasons. I'm using the OS1 Eye Topical Supplement, and not only is it helping soften the lines around my eyes, but the act of washing my makeup off and using my hands to massage product into my skin really does feel like self-care. Sure, I can fall asleep with makeup on and roll out of bed in the morning, but that pause to wash my face and apply my simple products just feels good. One Skin is more than skincare. It's about skin longevity, targeting the root causes of aging to help you look and feel your best at every age. Get started today with 15% off using code 3in30 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code 3in30. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard from them and please support our show and tell them that we sent you. It's time to expect more from your skincare routine. Invest in the health of your skin with one skin. Then what's your second takeaway for us of how we can become great partners? Well, so much of what makes a marriage great is not the absence of difference, right? And John Gottman's research points to this. It's not about the absence of difference. And it's not the absence of disappointment, which people are probably like, wait a minute, I thought I was going to get a marriage from which I would never be disappointed. <laughs> okay. mm -hmm. But really what it is that defines the marriage and whether or not we're a great partner is how we handle those differences, how we handle the disappointments kind of main thesis of my strengthening your relationship course is how you handle disappointment determines the marriage. Mm. And so 
that's kind of counter to how we tend to want to think. We want solutions. We want things to work. We want things to be easy. But the counterintuitive idea is our ability to self-regulate and to not be punitive and harsh really defines the quality of what it is to be in relationship with you and with one another. And so the reality is that what we tend to do when we're disappointed, when we're not getting what we want from our children or our spouse, we tend to regress. We go into our lesser minds. We get mm -hmm. out of our prefrontal and our limbic starts to take over. And so we go into these fight or flight or flee tendencies that are really quite destructive. So like I said to a client, it's not that you're unlovable. It's what you do when you fear your unlovability that makes you difficult to be with. Right? Your inherent nature, you're lovable. But what you're doing when you don't have the control your lesser mind wants, well, then you push people away. And a lot of times we do this either through trying to control our partner, manipulate them, dominate through our emotions, right? Whether we are punishing when we don't get what we want, or do we just retreat, give up, not try, not be honest, but resent, right? Mm. These are all things that can be really, or just accommodate and do what yeah. is wanted, but then feel resentful, feel like a martyr, feel that we're being taken advantage of. You know, so these are just really intuitive things to do. They're very, very human, but they really undermine the intimacy of the marriage. And what I mean by the intimacy of it is how honest and free the relationship is. Mm. So it's counterintuitive because a lot of times we're like, well, I don't want to fight. I'm not going to bring this up. Now I'm going to resent the hell out of him, but I'm not going to bring it up. <laughs> and then we'll have peace, you know. And so it can feel sort peace. of like quote-unquote peace exactly. while you're resenting that. Exactly right. And so a lot of times we're trying to like not go into the difficulty, not go into the honest difference and be in the honest struggle. And it's understandable. But when we pull away from it, either punish for the difference or don't bring up the difference or, well, then it's it's still operating in the marriage. It's undermining the true peace with one another. It's undermining the relationship. But you have less access to it because you've pushed it away or you've turned it into another, you know, reality, like just punishing them for something else, right? And it gets very difficult to then really address the marriage and make it a space that's accommodating of two different souls. Mm. I loved in your Strengthening Marriage course, you mentioned costly accommodation. Yes. There's a cost to the accommodations that you're making and you're not being honest about That's your right. desires and your resentments and it's costly. That's and right. that struck me. It undermines the happiness of your partnership. Yes. When you say how we handle our disappointments, what do you mean by disappointment? Because you're not talking about like, I didn't get the car I wanted or, you know, like what kinds of disappointments do we have a hard time sort of tolerating in marriage? Well, so many. And depending on the marriage, some have to handle much deeper and more difficult disappointments than others. But the rule still stands how you handle that. So it's hard to handle difference, right? We're drawn to partners that are different than us. I'm married to someone who's very introverted. I'm mildly extroverted, right? I was drawn to it. But then when I want to go to a party and hang out, 
Well, then it's suddenly like that's that's not so desirable. That's more frustrating. I want you to just do what I want to do. And so then how do you handle that? In the beginning of the marriage, I was more punishing around that. Like, come on, like, why can't you just go do that? What's the matter with you? You know, thankfully, I've gotten better at it, at least. Like, I'm more like, look, my husband's different than me. And we're going to want different things around this social event. And so how do we handle that in a way that's respectful to who we each are? Sometimes I'm accommodating his difference, going home early, not going. He's accommodating mine, going and putting a brave face on and hanging out, you know. But it's more about how do we work together to be kind to both of us in these differences? That's mm -hmm. what it is to love. That's what it is to invest in another person. But our lesser selves just want what we want. Just do it my way. My way is the right way. Right. Mm. You know, <laughs> there's just so many dumb things in marriage like that where you just have a way you want things done. And so we want to prevail often and have our way be the right way. And we can be pretty indecent sometimes in just trying to get things to yield to our desires. Or we can have the opposite problem, which we don't stand up for any of our desires and we accommodate, as you're talking about. But it comes with a cost. We don't feel like we belong to our own marriage. We don't feel like we actually exist in our own lives because we're so busy trying to keep everybody happy with us that we don't really have a marriage of two different people. Mm. Yeah. And then what's your third and final takeaway for us? Well, just that the sexual relationship matters in marriage. And for most people getting married, it's a foundational element. Attraction is a foundational element. The fact of I desire you, the idea that I don't want your sexuality to go anywhere else. And so even though it's often unspoken, it's an implicit understanding of the marriage is that our, we bring our sexuality to one another. Well, sexual relationships can be challenging in part because just speaking to this idea of how we handle disappointment and difference, now it's even at a more vulnerable level, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's really sharing our vulnerable selves. And so if we struggle with being knowable, and if we struggle in our relationship to our embodied sexual selves, we are going to probably have difficulty being intimate in a relationship. And I don't mean just that you want sex or you like sex, because there's plenty of people that are higher desire for sex, but that are not comfortable with the actual intimacy of sex. And so the ability to really share ourselves in marriage, both emotionally and sexually, is really critical to what people desire in marriage and even expect in marriage, but are often afraid of and therefore step away from it. They undermine the kind of foundational understanding of the marriage. So I think it's easy to dismiss sex sometimes as, oh, my gosh, you know, men or like, you know, this is just the frosting on the cake of a marriage. But I would argue it's really the cake. It's really th this desiring in marriage. That is to say, you may not like having sex, but you don't want your spouse to desire someone else. Mm -hmm. And if you don't feel desired, those in the audience that feel not desired, you know how painful it is. And it's less about sex per se than that emotional energy of attraction and attachment and investment that sexuality is an expression of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love in your Art of Desire course, this is about so much more than just sexual desire. It's yes. about desiring, choosing another person. I yes. love and want you as my partner in all ways. 
and I want to be close to you. And I think this takeaway of understanding and dealing with your sexuality really goes back to takeaway one of being able to self-confront and say, what is my part in this? Like if we are struggling in the sexual aspect of our marriage, it's easy to say, oh, well, they just want it too much or they want it enough. And it's all their fault. But looking and saying, this matters in a marriage and I need to do my part to figure it out and to figure out my piece, which is incredibly tender, vulnerable work. It is. And scary, right? Yes. If I'm not feeling attracted, why not? So, you know, a lot of us are just like, well, the desire is not there. Like, what can I do about it? You know, (laughs) but it's a different question to say, well, why? Is that about my partner or is that about me? There's something there that really could be addressed and could make it better, but I'm afraid to bring it up. Or is it just that I tend to be critical and distancing and I'm more comfortable in the rejecting position than really loving and caring for this person that I promised to love when I got married? And Mm so, you know, which is it? But again, how can I bring my better self to this? It's scary to bring our better selves because it's always more vulnerable. But the reward is not only, yes, we're being a better partner, but as you say, Rachel, we feel so much better about ourselves. We Mm. feel so much more solid in our own lives, right? We're Mm. bringing a kinder, more loving self and enjoying the benefit of that impact because it does come back to us and shapes how we feel about who we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I know this is not an easy takeaway for a lot of us, myself included, There's body image. There's potential abuse that you've had in the past. There's so many things that you have to look at when you're addressing why is this dynamic not great in our marriage. And I love your work and your course to help support women as they go through it. And your last episode on the show was really focused on frames of meaning that Mm. suppress desire and how we are setting ourselves up to have Mm. less desire when we are looking at sex through these lenses. And so I would really recommend that if people are sitting here listening, self-confronting, thinking, I want more desire in my marriage, but I don't know how to get it, go back and listen to that episode. And then also to, of course, look into your courses. And you're just phenomenal at what you do. And I also absolutely love your private podcast. So you have a public-facing podcast that people can find that will link. Yeah, Conversations with Dr. Jennifer. But yes, Room for Two is the private subscription-based podcast. But I'm working with real couples around Mm -hmm. intimacy and relationship issues. And so you can hear yourselves in these stories and listen to my feedback that I give to couples around how they can work with themselves to create a better marriage. Yeah. And what I love about those conversations is the self-confronting. Yeah, exactly. you push people to self-confront. You're not going to just let them off the hook and you point out the problem. You allow them to feel the discomfort of the self-confronting. It's really powerful to hear these couples kind of work through this and inspiring, honestly. Inspiring. Oh, isn't it? It's so inspiring when someone's taking themselves on. You're just like, you know, bless you. You you push all of us to do the same. Yeah. Better. And some of these couples, like you go in hearing their situation and you think like, 
I don't know. There's not a lot of hope <laughs> yeah. for this one. Is there any hope? <laughs> and then yeah. like by the end of the series, they're doing so much better and they've really self-confronted and they've taken the tools. And that just makes you feel like, well, whatever I have in my marriage, I yeah. can work on. You know, that's yes. really inspiring to see yes, these couples do so this true. work. So very true. So thank you, Dr. Jennifer, for all of the goodness you're putting out in the world and the impact you've had on my life and my marriage personally. It's made a huge difference. So thank you for coming on 3 and 30. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. Well, I am feeling inspired, and I hope you are too. I'm going to be doing some serious self-confronting as I think about what I learned from this conversation. Can you imagine the difference it would make if every couple listened to the podcast episode and really took these takeaways to heart? Here's a recap of Dr. Finlayson 5's three takeaways for becoming a great partner. First, be willing to look at yourself and your impact on the marriage. If we don't see our own blind spots and liabilities, we remove the growth mechanism that every marriage needs in order to thrive. Many of us are eager for our spouse to change, but we don't want to deal with ourselves and our contributions to our marital difficulties. The ability to self-confront is what we're working towards, and that just means that we're able to humbly take feedback and then honestly look at how we contribute to the relationship. As Jennifer explained in this episode, quote, when a partner's willing to say, okay, I think you have a point, and do it differently, that's when you know you're loved. It's not about the perfection, but the willingness to evolve, end quote. Second takeaway, work to develop the self-regulation to remain kind and constructive instead of punitive and harsh when facing disappointments and differences in your marriage. Jennifer reminds us that how we handle ourselves when we're not getting what we want determines the marriage. It's human nature to want to do hostile or difficult things when our spouse doesn't conform to what we want, but if we are forgiving, kind, constructive, and honest, we can create a real friendship, and that is the basis for a truly great marriage. And third and finally, understand and deal with your sexuality. Sex is fundamental to marriage unless you and your spouse have agreed that it's not. Sex is about desiring and being desired in return. It's about choosing your spouse, and as vulnerable and difficult as this topic can be for many people, it's something that's worth working on in order to become a truly loving and connected partner. If this is a particular struggle for you, you are not alone, and I would love to recommend Dr. Finlayson 5's first 3 and 30 episode, which you can find on the relationships playlist that I put together for you at 3in30podcast.com slash playlist. She also has incredible courses and podcasts to help with this, and I will link all of that information in the show notes. My friends, strengthening marriage is a constant work. Showing up and working to become a better partner is challenging. But you've got this, and I'm here with you doing the work right alongside you. I hope you have a beautiful week with your family.